anyone doesn't enjoy not having the opportunity to do what they can and just being told that you can't or having just a low expectation of you. That doesn't feel good for anyone. And I think that's why a lot of our members really value our CAN programs is because they get to come in and we just get it. Like that's kind of the biggest feedback I've got is like when I come to this program, it's like the staff get it. The other participants just get it. There's no need to explain myself. There's no need to like advocate for myself. I I can just be like a person among people. And I feel like Little Kitchen Academy has accomplished the same thing. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. It seems like inclusion can be a tricky subject for a lot of people these days. Now, the concept itself is pretty simple, and young children are great examples. Go watch them play on a playground. They almost always lead with their similarities instead of focusing on their differences. They usually assume their peers can do whatever game or activity they're trying to play, and they innately give each other strength and confidence when trying something new. Somewhere along the way, a lot of us lose that perspective. But hopefully, we regain it thanks to special people or special places that we connect with. Little Kitchen Academy has always endeavored to be one of those places. And according to Mark Comfort, LKA is doing a fine job. Mark is a recreation specialist at Canucks Autism Network, a nonprofit based in Vancouver that is dedicated to enriching the lives of individuals on the autism spectrum and their families. Mark is more than happy to share his perspective on Little Kitchen Academy, and he recently agreed to meet me in the kitchen, which, as you'll soon hear, isn't the room of the house he feels most comfortable in. I think the best place to begin, at least from my perspective, is this. How did you first become involved with Canucks Autism Network? So I studied recreation therapy at Douglas College for my degree, and... I think it was in the second year of our degree. One of my classmates was a staff at Canucks Autism Network, and they needed some extra hands on deck for a skate program. Growing up in Saskatchewan, I obviously played hockey my whole life. So I was very stoked to jump on the ice and help support some autistic children in uh, learning how to skate. It was like a six week commitment. But then after that, I was hooked. So I was just taking any opportunity I could with them. And I kind of like slowly weaseled my way up into the position that I'm at now. You mentioned growing up in Saskatchewan. Was it simply college and that experience at Douglas College that brought you out west? Or how did you eventually make your way to this side of the Rockies? It's a long story. It was just a road trip. I was never intending to stay in Vancouver. But once I got here, there was like a few circumstances that kind of made me stay. And then by the time I was able to leave, I had fallen in love with the West Coast. So I just stuck around and That was like 12 years ago, so it's old news, but yeah. (laughs) It's old news for you, but relative to your life, I guess it's still fairly new compared to growing up in Saskatchewan and becoming involved in all the things you did when you were growing up. Now that you're working with Canucks Autism Network, how long have you been there and what does your work entail? So I've been in my role 
for about two and a half years. I came on into this position right when we were returning to in-person programs after the pandemic and lockdown and everything. But prior to that, I was actually working on the training team and I got laid off March 2020 when I think most of the world did. So what I do now is I oversee all of our recreation-based programs for our members who are 13 and older all across the province. So we have programming in Kelowna, Kamloops, Victoria, Nanaimo, all across the Lower Mainland and East Fraser Valley, as well as virtual programs. You studied, as you said, recreation therapy at Douglas College. How much of the program was focused on working with people that may have some type of challenge, whether it be autism or any other challenge they may encounter in life? The whole program. Uh, Yeah, so uh, recreation therapy is primarily just like adapted recreation for whatever population you're working with. I would say that there was a brief glance into autism in my degree, but everything I know I've learned through just like experience, hands-on experience, or learning from our autistic adults. We have an amazing membership of really strong advocates that I oversee. One of our groups is the Autistic Leaders Group, and they take on different projects based on advocacy for the autistic community, both within and outside of CAN. So I would say just working with that group alone, I've learned more than anything I learned in my degree. (laughs) But the degree was like very broad. So we learned to work with really any population. I did my practicum at Forensic Psychiatric Hospital. So I got some experience working with people with severe mental health situations. And then I also did my internship at GF Strong. So I worked with folks with newly acquired spinal cord injuries. So a lot of like different types of adapted recreation, but the goal is always to improve quality of life through recreation. I would say like as a profession and within the degree, the primary population is older adults. And a lot of my classmates have moved on and are working in that field, but it's just really boring compared to like being able to work with the populations that I've been able to work with. I'm very blessed to have had the opportunities I have. You mentioned using recreation to improve the quality of life. What are those tangible and maybe some of the intangible benefits that you see to applying recreation to the population that you're working with right now? So right now with the autistic community, a lot of the focus of my programming is based on providing like a safe space to practice social skills and create social connections. I think that recreation is a great platform for that. We have a lot of different programs that kind of geared to attract different folks that enjoy different types of recreation. So we have like a movie club that meets twice a month and just watch a movie together and then hang out and discuss that. We have a walking group that just goes for a walk. And then we have like more activity focus like rowing programs we have improv we have rock climbing bouldering it's kind of like all of those activities are like the means to getting social interaction and practicing social skills and kind of being around people and being able to have that safe space that's supported by our staff to try new things is like definitely a huge thing but i think the main goal of most of my programs is to create that safe space for social interaction do you have a favorite activity to participate in I like all of them. I really do. I loved being at Little Kitchen Academy. That one was great. I really enjoyed the improv. Secretly and selfishly, I plan programs that excite me so that I get to go and I get to have a good time. But a lot of it is based off of who is wanting to partner with us to provide activities. So like a lot of the times when the training team does a training with an organization in the community, the organization will be like, oh, we'd love to have a program here. 
And that's kind of how a lot of our partnership starts or vice versa, where I'll be like, there's this really cool organization in the community. Can we offer them training in exchange for programs so that we can like kind of get a taste and see if it's a good fit for us? But I don't think I have one favorite. I think it could have been Little Kitchen Academy, actually. It was pretty good. It was very good, actually. It was very successful for our participants. And that's like my favorite part of any of the programs that we have. Well, that's what I'd like to dive into next then, because everything you describe about the role of recreation being the means to social interaction leads to what you're talking about, which is community and creating a sense of community and a broader community, which is one of the platform goals of Little Kitchen Academy. As you know, how did Little Kitchen Academy make its way into your world? Somebody from Little Kitchen Academy, I can't remember exactly who, reached out to our development team to offer some free classes to our members. And that's not really what our development team does. So they like flipped it over to me and they were like, hey, like there's this opportunity. Would you be interested in pursuing it? And I was like, of course, yeah, that sounds great. And then I connected with Alini. I connected with Alini and we kind of came up with this plan to do three sessions every Friday for three weeks with five of our participants each week. And that's kind of a typical situation with my programs is somebody reaches out to Can and then they throw them to me. And then we end up partnering to create some programs for our 13 plus members. So you've been in the environment now and you were able to attend those classes with other members of the Canucks Autism Network. We all have an expectation and then there's reality. What was your expectation of what that opportunity at Little Kitchen Academy was going to look like? Not what it was. Um, I, I kind of expected the primary focus to be on the food and the cooking when I was expecting to have to like adapt the cooking and by adapt I mean like breaking down the instructions into like smaller pieces and really supporting our participants to be successful in that way you know providing like follow-up instructions or writing out the instructions for them or kind of modeling what the steps of the recipe were but that's not at all what happened the instructors were amazing. They did a really good job of front-loading what was going to happen in the session, kind of what the different steps were going to be before jumping into it. And then as the class went on, they did a great job of like modeling. They had all the equipment that the participants were using with them. So they were able to be like, we're going to use the measuring cup that looks like this, and you're going to have a spoon that looks like that, and it'll be in this drawer. And like those very specific detailed broken down instructions are exactly what a lot of our participants need to be successful in that environment. So that in itself was really great. But the really cool thing that happened was there was other members of the public that were there just like drop in participants or registered. I'm not super sure. And our participants started to just connect with them and talk and just say, how's it going? Like, what school do you go to? Like kind of just practicing those social skills. I mean, like, it's great for our participants to connect and engage with one another, but it's also amazing to see them, like, having those interactions with just, like, people their own age in a cooking class. Like, that's great. And that's the environment they're looking to create at Little Kitchen Academy, which is, I would think, very much aligned with what you're doing with Canucks Autism Network. Even beyond the recreation scope, it is about integration and about understanding what people can do as opposed to what they can't. What type of feedback did you get from the participants that you brought? People were stoked. Like almost every single family was like, can we come back? And I was like, yeah, you just have to sign up through this link. I had a lot of like emails from different parents and participants requesting the information to register, which is great. That doesn't always happen. That's not the baseline for these types of programs that are a one-off, but lots of great feedback. Everyone wanted to do it again. 
And my favorite part of that program was I went to the first session that we did on week one and we had our five participants and everyone had a great time, which was awesome. But then I went back for week three, which was our last week. And one of the participants that had come on week one had been coming each week on their own and they had just joined that little community so well and they had friends that were there and that they were connecting with and that they were like goofing around and having a good time with and that is exactly what i want from the programs that i run i want our participants to find an activity that they enjoy in a environment that they are comfortable in and to just go and be successful and like that is a hundred percent what had happened with Little Kitchen Academy with that one participant in particular, but I think all of our participants really got a lot out of the program. So you said that's not the baseline where every family who goes and every participant who goes is clamoring to go back week after week. And can we do this again? What do you think it was about this particular experience that led to that? I think that it was, like I said earlier, like the environment was really already built for our participants to be successful. So like the activity was really accessible everyone was successful with the activity. So that always feels great to be able to accomplish something. And like when you're cooking to have that like finished result of being like, oh, I did this by myself and like I enjoy it and it was delicious. So I think that was a big part of it. But I also feel like it was like a good environment for people to connect and socialize with one another. There was a good kind of split of instructions and cooking, but also just time to hang out and connect. So there was never like a pressure to socialize. Those moments just kind of happened organically and naturally. And I think that was probably what was the most impactful for our participants. It's a really good point that you bring up. And the greatest symbol of that for each class is that community table at the end where everyone sits down and they share their meals together and they get to taste what they've made during the course of that class. But you make an excellent point about the interaction that occurs during the course of a class. And to me, and again, this is just my perspective from the outside looking in, but I'd love to hear how you feel about it. Those types of environments foster people's beliefs that we are so much more the same than we are different. And those differences are something to celebrate as opposed to something that may remove us from the group. Yeah. And I think what really allowed that dynamic to really be fostered was that the level of support and instruction and detail was the same for everyone. So it wasn't as if our participants that are coming with maybe some different support needs than other participants that would be coming from the public have were singled out for having those support needs. It was just across the board. Everybody got the same level of support, which allowed everyone to be successful. And it wasn't as if one person was maybe having a really challenging time or was requiring a lot of extra attention from the instructor or any of those pieces that can really feel alienating for a lot of people, not just people on the spectrum. Um, So I think that was really huge in creating that environment where, like you said, it's just like people are different, but it's not like somebody's being singled out or like othered or whatever the case may be. There's a number of elements there that I actually want to dig into. One of those is the fact that It's a program for teens all the way up to the age of 18. When people hear that Little Kitchen Academy is a Montessori-inspired cooking school for children, they often think of elementary-aged kids. And those are great. There's nothing wrong with those. I happen to have two elementary-aged children, and they love those classes. But it's very important for those activities to continue. In your experience, how vital is that to provide opportunities 
for older kids and for teenagers who are part of the Canucks Autism Network? I think it's amazing <laughs> to be able to provide opportunities for that age group that are so accessible. I think that kind of the general expectation in society is that by the time you're 13, you no longer will need those adaptations or modifications and that you can just start to access like mainstream programming. And for most people, like whether they're on the spectrum or not, that is the case. But I think that this population of teens that do still have those like maybe a little bit higher support needs. These types of programs are very few and far between. From my perspective, I'm not an expert on like every opportunity that there is for youth in the city. But I think that to continue to offer these beginner intro accessible programs for this age group is so important. And I would even go further to say that like it's even more important for adults one of the major things that I've learned while working with this population is that there's a huge service cliff for autistic individuals once they hit 18. There's no longer any funding. There's a lot of eligibility criteria to get into certain services that are available that autistic individuals don't often meet. There's just like a lot of barriers in order to be successful once you're over the age of 18. And I think that like programs like this that are teaching like important life skills in a way that is very accessible and also like creating that community and social environment that's really safe, really help people get set up for success once they kind of turn 18 and are an adult and are expected to do these life skills that might be challenging to learn on their own. I can't speak for any of the organizations that don't offer those opportunities, but my assumption or my read would be well, we're not going to offer that opportunity because we don't believe we can properly support people who are exceptional learners or people who have a physical challenge. And it's been my experience in talking to a number of people who are trying to get those programs or who have found their way into those programs where they are offered, that those assumptions are often fear-based and they're not based in actual knowledge. I just spoke to a little girl who is just a tremendous, tremendous spirit. And cognitively, she is fantastic. She has some physical challenges. But people see that and they don't realize what she can do. And do you feel that is often the attitude that people are so focused on what someone might not be able to do that they don't allow them to show you what they can? Yeah, I think that there's kind of like two sides to that. I think that a lot of people don't believe that they have the means to be supportive and accessible and inclusive of different populations. And I think that a lot of organizations are really surprised that it's not like equipment or like super specialized training that really helps to create an accessible environment, but it's more just like the way you communicate and the way you front load expectations and the way that you provide motivation and all of these like really simple things that can be built into any program or session plan or whatever the case may be. But I also have heard from a large number of autistic youth and adults that like one of the things that they don't enjoy about going into community and community-based recreation is that there is this assumption that they're incompetent and that they're not able to do things on their own. And that creates a dynamic where they aren't able to be independent, they don't feel comfortable, and situations where, you know, they just end up feeling worse about themselves because they go to this activity to have fun and, and just be a person among people. And then they kind of get robbed of that opportunity by people that have good intentions, I'm sure, to be able to be supportive and to make sure that they're having a good time. But oftentimes, you know, like anyone doesn't enjoy 
not having the opportunity to do what they can and just being told that you can't or having just a low expectation of you. That doesn't feel good for anyone. And when there's something that kind of leads a lot of people to feel the same way about you, I can't imagine what that would be like. But I've heard it's very frustrating. And I've heard that it's just like very unmotivating. And I think that's why a lot of our members really value our CAN programs is because they get to come in and we just get it. Like that's kind of the biggest feedback I've got is like, when I come to this program, it's like the staff get it. The other participants just get it. There's no need to explain myself. There's no need to like advocate for myself. I I can just be like a person among people. And I feel like Little Kitchen Academy has accomplished the same thing from what I've seen of it. I've only been to two sessions, but I was very impressed. So um, I think very highly of Little Kitchen Academy. And I think that that assumption isn't there. Like I remember even in our first week, we had a participant who didn't appear to be as independent as they were when they came, but were given the opportunity to do everything on their own and kind of make their own mistakes if they were to make them. And they were great. They needed very little support. And I think just the appearance of them was very misleading, but I really respected how the instructors didn't belittle them by assuming that they couldn't do the tasks. They were given different options at some points, but the participant was able to choose what they wanted to do. And sometimes, yeah, they did take the adaptation that was maybe a little bit simpler, but oftentimes they did exactly what everybody else in the class did. And that was their choice. And the instructors were very respectful of that. And I was very happy. I was like ready to jump in and be like, they can do it, but I didn't need to. So that was awesome. Just listening to you talk about that and the experiences you've seen along the way, it would seem to me that it's about redefining what support looks like. People have an assumption about what support is and, oh, I need to do this for you or I need to get some special apparatus for this to be able to work for you. And one of the things this little girl said to me in this recent conversation was, I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to ask for support. But when I need it, I will. Don't assume I need it until I tell you. Has that been your experience as well in working with the population on the spectrum? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. (laughs) I've heard that a lot. And that's often like when I go to observe a program that I oversee, because unfortunately, I'm not in the programs myself. I'm just kind of behind the scenes, booking facilities, communicating with participants, booking staff. But when I do go to programs, that is often the feedback I give. Let the participants ask you for the support that they need. And I think the challenge oftentimes is like a lot of the people that work with these populations are trained or at least used to working with children where they're not able to really communicate that need for support as well as somebody who's like 13, 16, 17. And so oftentimes folks that are, you know, used to just providing support proactively have a hard time sending back and and seeing that there might be a need for support or that there could be like something that they could do and just not like I think one of the things that I remember from my degree was like best case scenario you go to a program you do nothing there's just enough adaptations and support available that you don't need to do anything like the whole kind of philosophy that we learned in college was to work ourselves out of a job like get our participants our clients to a place where they're able to be independent in accessing recreation they don't need you so when we're providing that unrequested support all the time it's not allowing individuals to be as independent as they can be so the like skill development or coping um, skills or being able to problem solve 
doesn't happen because it doesn't need to. I think oftentimes like people have the best intentions and, you know, it's not super harmful to provide more support than maybe somebody wants all the time. But when it's like a continuous thing throughout the program or a person's life, it kind of just doesn't allow for those opportunities to like really grow and be independent and build those skills. I'm going to ask you this question now because it's the question that every single person gets asked on this podcast. I know that you had to think about it leading up to this conversation. Mark, what is the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen and why? It's oatmeal and it's because it doesn't go bad and it's really easy to make. I am very lazy. I don't like to cook and I don't like to grocery shop. So any like non-perishable food is is really mostly what's in my kitchen. Unless I'm like have a specific recipe in mind, but it's oatmeal and it's because it's very easy and it doesn't go bad. All right. So do we doctor that oatmeal up with anything? Are you very traditional and you're just going with the oats and some boiling water? Or what are you adding to your oatmeal on a daily basis, Mark? I add frozen berries is a must. Maple syrup if I have it. If I don't, then it's brown sugar and protein powder because then it's it's a meal. You got all your food groups, I think. I don't know. <laughs> it's enough. It's enough of a meal. It doesn't sound to me like you do a whole lot of cooking, though. No, that's why I was so excited to partner with Little Kitchen Academy. I was like, I'm going to be there and I will learn how to cook. I will probably get more out of this than the participants. And I did. The recipes that they made were like super easy and like made me feel like I could cook. Yeah, I was inspired. I made a slow cooker chicken after the program one day. Now, I know that wasn't the recipe you made in the class because there's no meat at Little Kitchen Academy. What were the two recipes you made and have you incorporated them somehow into your life? I want to say yes, Scott, so bad, but no. We made sushi balls that were very good with a teriyaki tofu and some different veggies. It was very good. And then we made like a one pot pasta with spinach artichoke sauce. It was very good as well. We as staff didn't get to actually make the meals but the instructor always made like a demonstration meal and they were always very kind to share the food with us because we were so hungry by the end of class it looked so good i'm sure you were i'm sure you were well that's great who knows maybe we can set something up where they slide a few recipes your way from time to time i'll see if i know somebody on the inside that can help you out there mark i need it so bad scott so bad (laughs) You mentioned earlier that you grew up playing hockey, so I imagine that's where some of your passion for recreation comes into play with what you chose to pursue as a career. What about the teaching side of it? Where did that passion come from? I think I just really like working with people, and I really wanted to help people in my day-to-day job and career. And I'm too squeamish to be like a nurse or anything in that realm of society, but I still wanted to kind of be in healthcare. I actually was applying to become a psychiatric nurse and I was on the wait list. And then I applied to rec therapy just to like have another option. And then I got into rec therapy and I remember starting my first year and kind of learning what it actually is and being like, oh, yeah, of course, this is this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Like the values and the philosophy and being able to be like really person centered and create like strong rapport with clients kind of everything about it just like really matched what I was looking for. And I didn't even know that that was the case. I didn't even know what rec therapy was. So I don't know. The teaching side, I just like working with people. It's not really about teaching. It's just about being able to connect with individuals and kind of, I like to see the impact of my work. 
And I like to see the success of the people that I work with. So how does that manifest itself? And I suppose I'll ask it this way, Mark. What does a good day at work look like for you? A good day at work is any day that I get to interact with our participants because they don't happen very often. So any good day at work, like when I went to week three of Little Kitchen Academy and I saw one of our participants there independently and just like a part of the class as anyone else, that was a great day. That was like, I cried. (laughs) I was like so over the moon excited to see that. Like, that's amazing. But a good day, I think, would be getting good feedback from something that we've done. A good day looks like being able to train our staff to become more competent in working with, with the youth and adult population and just like being able to go to a program. All right, final question for you then. I think we all want to be proud of not only what we do, but who we do it with and who we do it for. So why are you proud to be a part of Canucks Autism Network? I'm proud because we're leaders in autism in BC, and I think even beyond that. But I think our reputation and the way we back it up, I think the initiatives that we create and the trainings that we do and the community engagement and the programs that we're able to provide are all for the autistic community. And I feel that we do a really good job of seeking out the autistic voices to center that and to to let that be what leads us rather than the other way around, which sometimes happens. But I really feel that, especially since like we've returned to programming after our break, I've seen such a drive to really understand and meet the needs of the population that we serve. And we've expanded into the world of youth and adults so much in the time that I've been here. We used to just be little old me running all of our 13 plus programming all across the province. And now we have a whole employment wing that is doing amazing work and helping autistic youth and adults prepare for employment, find employment, build those skills all types of cool stuff. We now have a mental health and wellness wing, which came out directly from like a consultation with the autistic community to see what the needs were. And that was like a huge gap in the community. So it's something that we've been able to kind of take on and pursue and provide some opportunities. And like, I'm I'm really excited for what they're doing because it's going to get more and more and cooler and cooler. And then my programs are kind of People aren't as excited about them, but they should be because they're awesome. And as much as everybody needs to work and as much as everybody really needs to have or support with mental health, everybody needs to have fun. Like everybody needs to have fun. And you can improve so much skills through doing the things that you love to do. We also did a consultation for uh, recreation-based programs over the summer and got a lot of the feedback from autistic folks, not just CAN members, but kind of like the greater community. And I'm really excited to like be implementing that. And I think that's really cool that we're an organization that goes out, gets that feedback, and then are like, okay, what are we going to do with it? Like, you know, it's like immediately, like, how can we implement this now? I think we do a good job of serving the community that we serve. And I think that all of us are very like, grateful and appreciative to work with this population and to kind of be able to serve this community. And I think that we're doing a good job of like hiring autistic individuals into positions when we can, making sure that there's like visibility of autistic employees throughout the organization and just trying to like center autistic voices. That's a great answer. And I will just give you my perspective in closing. You're not just serving the autistic community well, you're serving the community well. And that to me is the greatest testament that you can have 
as an organization. Thank you for your service. Thank you for doing this interview. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you today, Mark. Thank you, Scott. It was great. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 